Welcome to Commission Chats. I'm your host, John Scapini. Commission Chats is a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the United States Sentencing Commission. Today, we've got a special guest with us here, Kathleen Grilly, USSC's General Counsel. Kathleen, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, John. Uh, so give me a little background. When did you arrive here at the commission? I've been a member of the commission's legal staff since 2003. I was hired as an assistant general counsel and later promoted to the deputy general counsel in 2007. I was selected by the commission to be its general counsel in 2013 when the general counsel at the time, Ken Cohen, was elevated to the vacant staff director position. So you're a real veteran of the office. Um, in that case, tell me, what does the general counsel do for USSC? My primary responsibility as a general counsel is to manage the commission's policymaking function. That's through the annual amendment cycle, which culminates in publication of the guidelines manual. In addition, the general counsel, like any other in-house counsel, provides legal advice to the commission. Okay, and can you break that down for non-legal minds such as myself? Sure, so I have a legal staff. It's about 12 to 15 lawyers, a paralegal, and several legal interns. My staff and I provide advice to the commission on the wide variety of legal matters that are involved in running a federal agency. So for example, contracts, procurement, appropriations, personnel matters, litigation, and statutory interpretation of the commission's enabling statute. Got it. Uh, so you mentioned the big one earlier, the guidelines manual. Can you give me a quick overview on the guidelines manual? Like what is the purpose um, of the guidelines in the federal system? Sure. So in the Sentencing Reform Act, Congress gave the commission several statutory missions. One of them requires the commission to promulgate sentencing guidelines. These are used by the federal courts when they're um, imposing criminal sentences. The guidelines are designed to avoid unwarranted sentencing disparities between offenders with similar records that are convicted of similar offenses, and also to provide certainty and fairness in meeting the purposes of sentencing. Those purposes are just punishment, deterrence, protection of the public, and rehabilitation of the offender. Got it. And do the guidelines ever change? Yes, they do. Uh, one of the um, statutory duties that the commission has is to periodically review and revise the guidelines. Um, the commission is supposed to take into consideration comments and data that come to its attention. So the commission consults regularly with authorities in the criminal justice system. Those include the Judicial Conference of the United States, which are the judges, uh, the Department of Justice, and the federal public defenders, among others. When the commission has a voting quorum of members, that, that, that's to say at least four voting members, this periodic review process is called the amendment cycle and it takes place every year. Okay, and tell me more about the amendment cycle. How does it work and what's the schedule or timing behind it? Okay, the amendment cycle starts in the summer, usually when the commission has a planning session. That's a meeting where the commissioners sit down and talk about what should be on their policy agenda for the upcoming year. Uh, they consider a variety of materials uh, to inform these discussions, including public comment that we've received, recent crime legislation, uh, court decisions, and commission data, among other things. The commissioners then develop what we call a list of priorities, tentative list. 
they publish it in the Federal Register and on our website in order to solicit public comment on what they're thinking about working on and what the public, what other matters the public thinks they maybe should consider. Um, we do the publication in part because in our statute, Congress directed the commission to comply with what's called the notice and comment provisions of the Administrative Procedures Act. And publication gives the, you know, the general public and uh, folks interested in our work the opportunity to suggest areas in the guidelines that need change. After the commission gets public comment on this tentative list, it then votes at a public meeting on the final priorities for the amendment cycle, and that basically sets the agenda for the next for the next year. Okay, and what happens after that? After that, commission staff um, uh, starts to work on the policy agenda. The commission forms what we call interdisciplinary teams, which have uh, lawyers, social scientists, and trainers. These teams collect data um, and other information, perform research, and conduct informal outreach with interested stakeholders, and they provide monthly updates to the commission on this work. Um, the purpose is to solicit commission feedback on policy direction, and ultimately to develop proposed guideline amendments. Okay, and then what happens? Next, the commission has a public meeting. It's usually in December or January, and it votes to publish these proposed amendments um, with at least a 60-day comment period. The published amendments are placed in uh, the Federal Register and on the Commission's website. And in this register notice, there's an explanation on how the public can submit comment. Sometime during the comment period, typically in February or March, the Commission holds one or two public hearings on these published amendments. We invite witnesses who provide written uh, testimony and make brief remarks at the hearing at which time the commissioners can also ask them questions. I, I would mention that in addition to being a public meeting where the public can come in person, we also live stream these on our website. Got it, very cool. Uh, and then what comes after the hearing and the public comments are closed? The commission will refine the published amendments in light of the information that it has received. And then the commission holds a public meeting, usually in April, and at that meeting, it votes to promulgate the amendments. After the public vote, the proposed amendments are compiled into a single document. We call it the Congress document, and it's delivered to Congress. Um, it has the text of the amendments, and it includes an explanation of the commission's reason for each amendment in the document. Um, by statute, the, the commission must deliver this to Congress no later than the 1st of May each year. Got it. We've all got deadlines. Uh, so once you send it to Congress, does Congress have to approve the changes? No. Um, Congress gave itself a 180-day review period. And if Congress takes no action during uh, during that period, at the end of the 180 days, the, uh, the amendments automatically take effect. To disapprove amendments, Congress actually has to vote and enact a piece of legislation. Um, as an aside, Congress has only done that um, in one piece of legislation in 1995 in which it disapproved two of our amendments. Not a bad track record. Um, so how many amendments have there been actually to the guidelines? There have been over 800 amendments to the guidelines since they went into effect in 1987. Wow, so it's really like a living document. 
John, that's a perfect description of the guidelines, and that is exactly what Congress intended when it passed the Sentencing Reform Act. Okay, so I'm new to the federal system. How do I find the guidelines manual? Do I just call up the commission and say, can you send me a copy? Actually, I would encourage users to look at the commission's website, ussc.gov, to find the manual. It's under the guidelines tab. It's the same as the hard copy, but it includes some innovative tools and resources. Uh, there's an annotated guidelines manual, the guidelines app, the sentencing table, and you can even read about adopted amendments for each cycle. They're all available online. Let's chat about some of those. Um, annotated guidelines manual, what does that mean? The annotated guidelines manual has everything that a print version of the manual would have, but one added feature. Each guideline and policy statement in the manual has an historical note, which lists the effective date of the guideline and the date and number of every amendment to that guideline or policy statement. The text of the changes made by those amendments and the reasons for the amendments are found in chronological order in Appendix C of the manual. That's the guideline equivalent of legislative history. If you're using the print version of the manual, you go to the end of, of the guideline section you're interested in, you'll find that historical note. But in order to um, find out when a particular change was made, you have to read everything that's listed there. In the annotated manual, you look at the blue plus sign icons that have been inserted throughout the text. So for example, let's say you're interested in learning about changes to the loss table, which is in the fraud guideline 2B11. Of course, I often am. <laughs> well, you would go to 2B11 and click on the icon that's by the fraud table. That's 2B11B1. It will list each amendment to the table instead of all of the changes to the whole guideline, like in the print version. That list also has hyperlinks to the amendments. And so you can click on the hyperlinks and read through only those amendments that made changes that you are interested in. It's a faster and much more efficient way to do research on how and why the commission made certain changes. That sounds very valuable. Um, and so there's a guidelines app as well. I mean, everything has an app nowadays, doesn't it? Um, so is it just a mobile version of the manual? Yeah, that's right. We've got a web-based act with the text of the manual that can be downloaded from our website, again, under the guidelines tab. I love the app because I always have access to the manual on my cell phone. It's great. And I don't have to carry that big old manual with me when I travel. But it also provides a number of other wonderful features. Uh, tell me about some of those features and how they could help the guidelines user. Well, the app has three different calculators uh, that are very helpful. The first is a guideline range calculator. This will give you the guideline range from the sentencing table after you input the final offense level and criminal history category for the offender in question. That saves you from having to look up the sentencing table. Already very handy. What else? There's a drug quantity calculator, which is great for people who are not good at math. It calculates the applicable offense level for uh, you once you've input drug type and weight. And you can input the weight using either kilograms, grams, pounds, or ounces. Um, 
I find that very helpful because I'm not good at those calculations. You can count me as one of those people as well. I was a writing major. Um, <laughs> and you mentioned one other item? Yes, I did. The last one, which is my all-time favorite of the tools provided by the app. It's a drug conversion calculator. And again, this one allows you to input various drug types and weights, again, in the pounds, ounces, grams, and kilograms, and then it will calculate for you the converted drug weight along with the applicable offense level for that combined quantity of drugs. That all sounds really useful. So do you have any final thoughts for someone new to using the guidelines? Sure. Our website offers a lot of resources that may be informative to both new and even experienced users of the manual under the Education tab. For example, we have a primer titled Federal Sentencing the Basics. This provides an overview of the federal sentencing system and the current sentencing process. There are a host of other primers um, that focus on specific guidelines and subject areas drugs, firearms, immigration, sex offenses, loss calculations, just to name a few of them. New and experienced users of the manual can find value in these. Finally, we post a quarterly case law document that highlights recent sentencing developments in all the circuits. These may help folks get a start on researching particular topics. Finally, you know, if you're interested in the commission's policymaking process, you can get all sorts of information under the policymaking tab on the website, including the text of published and promulgated amendments. A few years ago, as I mentioned earlier, the commission began to live stream commission hearings and meetings. And so the hearings and meeting notices are also found on our website, along with recordings of those past events. That all sounds great. Uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been my pleasure, Jean. That's it for today's episode. Thanks again to Kathleen. Stay tuned in this feed for more commission chats. If you're interested in some of the products and resources Kathleen talked about, you can find them and much more on our website, ussc.gov. Be sure to follow us on Twitter to receive the latest news from the commission. We are at the USSCGov and follow us on LinkedIn. This podcast is produced and published at US taxpayer expense. That's all for now. I'm John Scapini, and thank you for listening to Commission Chats. Bye for now.